movie that made him feel, made Ben Shapiro feel uncomfortable. I watched a little bit of it. I have been meaning to get back into it. But I hashtagged them Ben Ben. Ben Ben. <laughs> ben Ben bromance. It's really what they are. All right, hello. I gotta say hello to everyone. Hi everyone. Good evening. Hi. Good evening, world. We're live already. We are. I know. I gotta leave at like seven fifty. So I was like, okay, let's jump into this and get going with real fast show. Okay. I know, unfortunately, but I got a pitch in a baseball game. So good luck. Thank you. This is what Tuesday, September eighteenth, two thousand eighteen. It is 7.04. I said we should shoot for six thirty, but then traffic. <laughs> delayed me until the normal start time and here we are good afternoon guys i missed y'all yeah it's been a couple of times here i know that we've it's been a whole week going on it's been a whole week since we've done a show oh my gosh that's horrible we're horrible people i don't know we'll get to it though i just my new job i gotta settle in and yeah find my flow of what a normal work yeah. routine is yeah, so we might have to do some time adjustments for the show. Yes. Yeah. So, but we'll get there, guys. Yeah. Yep. Just got to stay with it, though. We can't can't give up our momentum. We've got a good thing going here. We got a good crew. But like a fool, I keep on. People keep on like, hey, every Monday you want to do this. Every Thursday you want to do this, and I just keep saying yes to everyone. So yep. I don't know what sleep is anymore. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> yeah, because you're having <laughs> to get up at. Four in the morning to go to meetings now. Mm. That was this morning, yeah. That was rough. But a lot has happened in the last week, you guys. We've got rape accusations and Sesame Street <gasps> characters are gay. You know, and, but they're not gay. Well, I mean, how can a pup? Yeah, how can a puppet have a sexual orientation? If they don't exist right. below the waist. Are we talking about Bert and Ernie? Yes. Yes. The, I haven't heard about this. Yeah, so the writer... That's funny that you immediately go to Bert and Ernie, yet you'd say you haven't heard about this. <laughs> what, 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 other, what other ambiguously gay duo in, in the puppets are there? Yeah, so one of the former Sesame Street writers, Mark Saltzman, came out and said that... Which, Bert and Ernie had existed in, since 1969, and Saltzman came on and started writing in 84, but said that he wrote um, a lot of their dynamic built around his own personal uh gay relationship that he was in okay okay so there's a couple of things here that really bother me about this go i'm interested to hear okay so I, i'm glad that sesame street has come out to say yeah no they're not gay <laughs> you know right because a they're muppets right right <laughs> and b this is a children's program and we're not supposed to be sexualizing every single thing about children and why the hell is a children's tv show writer being allowed to write a dynamic between muppets that is based around his own gay life like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense at all like this would but be big a bird's thing. still a tranny right <laughs> right like you can Just exist like, like you can exist with your you know, partner or whatever, but you don't have to, I mean, you can write scripts about the things that the two of you two do together, but, you know, that doesn't inherently make your characters gay. Right. 
It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's just nutty how everything has to be sexualized and everything for children has to be sexualized now too. And I it's think, insane. I think they were doing it when we were kids too. We just weren't picking up on it. Cause I'll go back and I'll watch stuff that I used to like as a kid and wow, I didn't get any of these jokes. Why did I even like this? You know, Yeah, the innuendo. Right. Yeah, but I think, I think they've always put them in kids programming so i don't know so the adult adults are entertained i don't know what you gotta have yeah if you're most of the time if you're a parent you're watching tv with your kids so it's like you gotta sure. right i mean they, they do that with like the tv show phineas and ferb which i love i think phineas and ferb is fantastic and it's hilarious and it's funny for kids and for parents and there's nothing there are jokes that parents will get but even though they're written for parents they're not inappropriate for children at all Right. And if it goes over the kid's head, it goes over the kid's head. And if they get it, you're like, oh, wow, you're a little more with it than, sure. than most your age. Than you most four-year-olds. So it's not a big deal. That's the kind of humor and such that you should be writing that appeals to adults and children. Yo Gabba Gabba is the same. Freaking love that show, you know. I wish it was still on the air. But, I mean, you just can't, you can't sexualize everything, especially for children, and then expect people to be okay with it. It's well, ridiculous. What blows my mind is like who sits around thinking about you know what Muppet character is gay or what you know cartoon right. character like who spends right. any kind of energy on that? Right. Who was that um that right wing televangelist who was saying remember when the, the uh uh what were they called? With the sun, the sun, the baby sun face. Oh, and, Teletubbies. Um, Pinky Winky and, yeah, Teletubbies. The purple one was the gay one because he had a triangle on his head and he was purple, which are both gay. You know, it's like, mm. this was a right-wing televangelist or, guy who was saying it. Was he Illuminati? And, right, or was he Illuminati? But, I mean, it's like, how does it make it, how does, I mean, so if a right-wing televangelist guy is saying these cartoon characters are gay, and then a gay cartoon writer is like, oh, yeah, my characters are totally gay. You know, that kind of sets it in stone for this right-wing nutter who's like, yeah. all these characters are gay and the gay agenda and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's awful. It's stupid to even put kids and sex in the same sentence together. <laughs> like like little kids. Like it's toddlers. It's, it's toddlers that watch it. Yeah. Right. I used to think, like, you know, before I started working for who I do now, like, I, I was way on the other side of, oh, there's no gay agenda. That's something that, you know, people just say because they're crazy and they don't have, you know, no one's trying to force people to be gay. No one's trying to push their lifestyle on other people. It's like, actually, no, that's pretty, like, I was pretty naive. Like, I was right. completely wrong on that. I think everybody is at first. I mean, when you first hear that, you're like, that's just silly. Who's, why are you saying that? But if you look into it at all, there's no denying it. I mean, right. now, well, and I mean, look at, I mean, this is kind of my religious tinfoil hat officially on my head right now. <laughs> you know, in Revelation talks about the world's order and the, the one world church. And a lot of people think that that's the Catholic church. And that's not what, it's not the Catholic church. What I think it is personally is an idea. I think the idea is, or the ideology is the world's church. And if you look at how, so many Catholic sects are starting to embrace LGBT issues, even though they're not biblical at all. And I mean, I have 
<laughs> I have gay friends. <laughs> I, and I love them, you know, but I have some gay friends who are like, yeah, no, there is an agenda, you know, and look at where was it that just um, legalized homosexuality was it India and this whole Western vomit of rainbow everything was all over in the streets of India when their parliament or whatever passed and made, made homosexuality legal in, in, in India. And it was just, and that's when it kind of clicked with me. It was really astonishing to see, oh my God, this is India who has a very gendered society. And there are very rigid roles attached to male and female people. And the fact that this is being so embraced by, the, by people all reaches, not even just the West, and, 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 it, and it's not homosexuality that's being embraced. It's LGBT culture that's mm. being embraced outside of the West. And it's entirely Western, you know, the, the whole form, form of it is Western. And it's being embraced in places that are not Western. And it's crazy to me. And that's why, that's why I say it's tinfoil hat, because I have not put the whole thing together for myself yet. Because I still struggle with it. Like that leftist part of my brain goes, oh, but this is like, they, you know, gay people can't help it. But then I'm, you know, listen to different podcasts about brains and homosexuality and you know, all sorts of stuff. And it just, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling at this point. But you know well, what, what I mean? Are those, what do those podcasts say? Now I'm interested. Well, I can link one. There's one on Relevant Radio that just, I was, it was actually just last week. Relevant Radio is a Catholic radio station that's nationwide. Uh -huh. um, you can find that podcast or... Uh, an app or if you've got a local station, but um, there was one last week on, on uh, Drew Mariani's show and they were talking about brain science and homosexuality and how much homosexuality is learned behavior and how much of it is actually inherent in brain chemistry and how much of it has to do with not only learned behavior, but environmental stressors, particularly between gay men and their mothers. It was really interesting and I didn't get to listen to the whole thing and I still haven't gotten a chance to pull up the podcast and listen to the whole thing, but I really want to because it's so fascinating to me um, that, and, it, and I think it becomes even more fascinating because it's so prevalent now and we're, we get, it's the whole um, representation thing that we've talked about before, you know, equal representation. Well, it's, you're, this group of people, is not a large part of society. The majority of society is heterosexual people. Mm -hmm. The majority of culture is not LGBT in any country, in any culture. It's just not the majority, even close to the majority. So to have equal representation, what does that mean? And yes, everybody should be treated with human dignity. Like I would never say that anybody, any person on this planet should be treated with human dignity, but like, we have to be able to ask these questions about the, the why and the reason and why do you feel this way and what makes you think, you know, you're, what makes you think you're gay or what do you think the root of this is or what, and I still haven't been able to find it. There's a study too um, um, that has discussed the amount of occasions that boys who grow up to be gay men who have um, their first introduction to being in gay was a, a a predatory relationship and that's been confirmed by <coughs> gay friends of mine too, male gay friends of mine. Mm -hmm. So there's something to all of this and to, 
be able to put the pieces together and ask the questions without being labeled a bigot is really important, I think. And it all is part and parcel to, you know, sexualizing children. I mean, we're sexualizing children with this kind of thing. And it's not to say, oh, kids shouldn't know about, especially kids who live in, in um, same-sex parent households, you know, that they shouldn't see that. That's not to say that at all. What it is to say is to ask the question why, you know, and not pretend that everybody has to accept it or agree with it or, or anything. I mean, that's, a, that's obviously not every case because, you know. Sure, I'm not I, saying I that at all. I don't know if you've heard Dave Rubin talk about his childhood, but he basically said, you know, he grew up, you know, as, as a masculine person playing mm -hmm. sports and, and drinking with his buddies yeah. and, and just one day he was like, Hey, I like penis, you know, and it just kind of came out of nowhere and it wasn't really, there wasn't really any reason for it. That's, that makes me curious. Like, you know, because he's, he's obviously gay. He's not putting it on. He's not choosing to be, you know what I mean? So why is someone like Dave Rubin homosexual? You know what I mean? Right. Like that's, and that's the real, that's the whole question. That's what, you know, the question of just the philosophy, the brain science that's being done, the, I mean, all of it. And, and you can't ask the questions unless you're coming from a liberal position right. and you have to be asking the right liberal questions. Right. And not the full breadth of the human understanding about that whole situation. It's fine. Anyway, be crazy. It's a they're, they're turning tangent. They're turning themselves moderate as as they go. Like, Jamie Kilstein's moderate now. I mean, he was like the leftist person you could possibly be in the world. Right. And now right. he's a moderate. So, you know. I just want to know, like, I want to see the Venn diagram of, like, the things that gay people have in common, like, outspoken gay people have in common with vegans, like, in this need to let everyone know that they're vegan or that they need to let everyone know that they're gay. Like that's like a huge part of their identity. Right. I, I wrote about that today though. I was like just writing about uh, the Bert and Ernie thing and how um, one of the puppeteers for Sesame Street basically said like these guys are more than just like their sexuality. Like there's more to human beings than their sexuality. There's like, you know, the things they do, uh, you know, in their day-to-day -day life that have nothing to do with, you know, what their orientation is, but yet for some reason, a huge segment of the population that just has to lock in on who people sleep with. Right. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable to me, and that's all we ever really hear about is who is betting down with whom. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, like, oh, this is the first gay person to do this, the first gay person to do that, and it's like, well, I mean... That's, like, who cares? That's all they are? Who cares? Yeah, like, if anything, that's coming off as demeaning, saying that, you know, oh, well, a gay person could have never done something like this because they lack some sort of ability or they, you know, because, right. because they're gay, they lack the ability to do this. Right. So, I just, I thought that was interesting. That was an excellent sort of point. topic. I just heard today that uh, the boy, the 12-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, I forget how old he was, um, boy that... Uh, What's his name? Kevin Spacey um, abused. Oh. He came out as gay. And yeah, that's kind of like, I forget who was talking about it, but whoever it was was saying, oh, like making a joke, like Kevin Spacey can sniff that shit out. And I'm thinking, I, no. <laughs> like, 
the kid probably wasn't on his way to being gay until that occurred. But like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not a scientist with that stuff. I'm certainly not an expert, but that just seems to make right. more sense to me, you know? It's bizarre, man. Kevin Spacey's a weird guy. Kind of going on to something uh, that we didn't talk about before, but did you guys see that Chelsea Clinton, uh, her, her comments in regards to abortion? I know you did, Tasha. I know you did. Yep. She basically said, she had said, Last week, I I wrote about it, but she she had said that returning to a time before uh, V. Wade would be unchristian. Oh yeah, yeah. We right, because Christians love to just kill innocent babies. Because they just yeah, because that's they wake up every morning and say, "How many babies can we kill?" Right. You know, never mind, right. never mind the verses about being formed in the womb or anything like right. that. Let's you know, make this about something completely different. Yeah, no, that was totally insane. And I don't know why anybody's still listening to anybody with the last name Clinton. True. Because people want a first family. People want a, a ro- people want an American royal family. And they're as close, them and the Bushes are as close as we're going to get. We literally fought a war to not have that happen. <laughs> but I thought, I just found it was interesting, like, her claiming to be, because in the interview she gave, she claimed that she was, you know, uh, a religious person, which she very well may be. It's not the same, you know, God that's in the Bible, but I don't think she's aware of that. And it specifically talks about like how people are going to take bits and pieces of the Bible that fit what they want. And they're going to totally ignore other pieces in it uh, just to suit their agenda. And that's sort of, I mean, that's exactly what she's doing by basically saying, Oh, you know, this isn't, you know, this is a totally non-Christian thing to not let people abort their babies and not be supportive of it. Right. There's, um, I'm looking it up right now, so I, um, can quote it exactly, but in Exodus, um, it's the Hebrew midwives that, um, disobeyed Pharaoh. And it gets, it gets used, the, um, I gotta find it. The midwives, the midwives disobeyed Pharaoh with regard to ending lives of babies, and the midwives and abortionists are quoting that as support for women who want to have abortions. Of course. And I'm like, wait a second. Have you even read the the whole thing? Because this is them disobeying an order from Pharaoh to kill babies. I think it's because they embrace the rebellious nature of it. Right. And it's insane because, I mean, you can't, you can't pick that out and go, oh, yeah, it's a rebel. Shit. They were rebelling. Yeah, they were not killing murder. babies. Yeah, they were, they were, they were not, not killing, killing the babies. babies. You are rebelling wanting to kill babies. It's not, not the same thing. My friend, they weren't rebelling against God. They were rebelling against Pharaoh, you know, and it's, right. it's totally different because Pharaoh is not God. My buddy always you know? gets pissed whenever I say pro-abortion. He gets like just visibly upset whenever I use that kind of rhetoric. And I do it on purpose just to, you know, piss oh, yeah, him I off. But I use rhetoric like that on a variety of topics just to be inflammatory. But at because the same, it makes it more real for people, right? You know, it, if you don't say the word, then it doesn't. You know, they don't. Right. They don't care. Use, 
your soft, fluffy euphemisms when you're talking about mutilating bodies or killing people. It's just not not going to be delicate about well, it. As somebody who who hasn't fully committed to, I was about to ask you: Are you on, are you on our side yet? <laughs> I, you know, yes and no. I, I, I'm so on the fence about this topic. It's not even funny. Like and. Uh, but but as somebody who in the past has been perceived as pro-abortion, I do also hate that phrase. But it's not it's not because we're trying to fluff it. It's because that's not the issue. The issue is choice, being able to choose. That's why it's pro-choice. They do. That is all that they get called. It's anti-choice people. Or anti-woman. Or anti-women are forced birthers. That's what the left calls yeah, pro-life people. I don't see that's and that's when when that shit starts happening. That's when I'm like, well, I'm gonna stand over here then. Because but you're a reasonable you know. guy, but like, okay, so what? What is the choice? Choice bodily autonomy is our number one inalienable liberty that we yes. have as human beings. But that baby is a separate human being with its own DNA that is not the same as the woman's, only half of it is the same as the woman's. Right. And you, you can't say that that's, just because location is inside her body, not outside of her body. I mean, there are people who think that two-year-olds, up to children up to two should be able to be murdered. Well, that's just asinine. Like, e even, even as somebody who, I don't know if I'm pro-choice or not, but as somebody who understands where pro-choice people are coming from, I think after three months is ridiculous. You uh, know what I mean? Like, um, so two years old, after three months of being pregnant, I mean, not three years, not three months old, you know? Um, I, but I just, I, I like see it from both sides of the fence where, where I have trouble reconciling it with myself is I, I don't, I'm really big on personal responsibility, and mm -hmm. I feel like a, I feel like abortion is relieving personal responsibility. Yeah, yes, it absolutely. spits 100%. in the face of responsibility. That, that's really, that's really, really, really where I get stuck, you know. And I'm just because ah, I hate that it gets used as birth control. It's not birth control. Like it should not be birth control. You know what I mean? They even have the morning after pill. Like there is zero reason. We should use abor abortion as birth control, you know? But right. there are, I just, I'm so on the fence, man. Like, because between the, between the personal individual choice and the personal responsibility, I'm getting stuck because I believe in both so hard that like, I don't, right. I don't know which wins out. <laughs> so if, if you're, just to get graphic here, if you're inside of a woman, does she have the right to like, remove the party that's inside of her no i mean like just it's it's hers it's hers so let's say that you are inside of her sexually can she like chop off the part of you that's inside of her is that all is that hers now am i incubating inside of her no no you're a man so an incubating baby is 100 percent reliant on the mother for survival so is a one-week-old baby. Or a year-old baby. Or a year-old baby. I mean, my children up to probably, I mean, my 16-year-old is <laughs> debatable sometimes, you know? But, <laughs> but 
I mean, you know what I am saying here? There's not, you can't just, this isn't a parasite. Babies aren't parasitic, you know? They aren't, they're, they're a different person. They're not the tumor. Entirely. And we know that this body plus this body makes a baby. Like we know that that happens. And the majority of the time that happens via consensual sex, not via rape, not via incest. So consensually, sexually involved people having sex with one another and they conceive a baby. It's the whole separation of creation and uh, procreation and the unitive components of sex. You can have unitive sex that's like, oh, this is so great, blah, blah, blah. Like, we love to do this because we love each other or like, I'm, and I'm totally bagging on one night stands and casual sex right now. I want you to know that. I think it's disgusting and morally depressing. Um, so, you know, we're, we're partners and we're having sex and we love it. But we also know that babies happen because of that, you know. And it's the only way they can happen. It's the only way it can happen. You you cannot remove those two from one another. And the reason why we have abortion is because we have gotten it into our heads as a society that we can abdicate ourselves of that responsibility. There's a quote by Mother Teresa, and you can have whatever opinion you want on Mother Teresa. I really don't care. Um, but there's a quote by her that if a mother can kill her own child, what is to stop you and me from killing each other? Mm. I That's, mean, and I, and we don't even like talking from the perspective of religion, like in regards to this, because we people or you know, people that uh, disagree with us don't share the same faith that we do. Sure. So, you know, we always try to come at it from like a, I mean, specifically for me, it's a personal responsibility position, uh, whereas it's and like... that's what it is for me, too, at the end of the day. It's a personal responsibility issue. Yeah. It's backed by my faith and my reason. Yeah, like, as a society, if we get rid of consequences, what's to stop anyone from doing anything that could be harmful to them or to someone else, you know? Right. It's like, you know, you get rid of... The, I mean, because it, it's not like making a baby is an easy thing, you know what I mean? Like, it, there's... It can't just happen. You can't just fall into it. You know, it's like there's one specific thing that you can do that you choose to do with someone else Mm -hmm. that leads to that. And so to just be able to say, oh, you know, you did the one thing, but you're able to get rid of that life now because, you know, it's going to inconvenience you or, you know, it's going to make life harder on you, which is the same thing as inconvenience. But trying to go back to your question that you asked me before. Um, if, if I am inside a woman, yes. does she have, what, how did you word it? Does she have the, the right, the choice to just cut off the thing that's inside of her? If, if it wasn't consensual, yes, she does, in my opinion. But, well, it, okay, but it is consensual, but it's still inside her body. It's her body. So she can, she should be able to do with whatever she well, wants I with her body, right? Let me in if she's just going to cut me off. I don't know. You maybe know she's just, I mean? maybe she's a sick, sick weirdo. Who kill? Who kills babies? Who kills babies inside of them? Exactly. Who kills babies? Here's, here's the thing. All right. I'm really interested in like, I just want to hear you argue this out. Like, 
Well, I'm, it's, it's kind of silly. I, I, was, I was going in another direction. I was going to say that also as like a sort of a, a student of psychology, I understand that there's a lot of trauma involved with being unwanted, you know? Yeah. And um, it, I, I kind of, okay, in a roundabout way, not wanting your child, whether you keep it or not, at the end of the day, not wanting your child is bad parenting. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was last week, the last episode, or whenever it was, I, I said that I believe bad parenting is the catalyst of all of society's evils, and I feel that way. And that includes a child feeling unwanted. So I don't know that it isn't better for that poor child who has to go through life dealing with the consequences of feeling unwanted by their parents to not have just been aborted in the first place. And I know that that sounds terrible. And I'm not saying in every case. You know, I would never do it. And and if a friend came to me and said, oh, I'm going to get an abortion, I'd be like, you sure that's really what you want to do? But at the end of the day, the percentages seem to be that we're going to make society harder yeah. on everyone. What were you going to say, Tasha? I'm sorry. I was going to say, I grew up feeling 100% unwanted. I also grew up in abject poverty and abuse. And those are all three points that pro-abortion people like to say, what about children, you know, this children could be, these children could be abused or they end up growing up in poverty or they end up unwanted and be abused because of this. And so you kill them. Like they don't deserve to, they don't deserve to have life. And I mean, eventually they're going to get away. I got away. You did. From all of that. And I can't tell you how much respect I have for you for that, but you are not the typical case. You understand that? You, I don't think you, you. I don't think you really understand how many people escape abuse and poverty and being unwanted as children. I, don't, I really don't think you understand how great right. that number is, honestly. Because I've heard people speak out about it and say, "So I should have been aborted because of these circumstances that I had no control over. Like, why? Why would I be the one to have to pay for that? You know? It's kind of like." I, so I was going to say, it's kind of like my position on like public education and getting rid of it. You know, people say, oh, you know, or at least me in particular, it's like, well, if they're at the lower end of the socioeconomic spectrum, you know, it's going to take a, it's going to take a lot of hard work, if not near impossible amounts of work for them to rise up out of it. So let's just stop to, let's just defund the whole thing and not even give them the chance. Like, let's just take all that money away. It's the same thing. Oh, pretty. I'm all, for, I'm all for unfunding Planned Parenthood. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying the issue of funding. I'm saying let's not even give these kids a chance to go to school because they're just going to stay poor anyway. So, like, we're just wasting money by doing that. I mean, why even give them the chance if most of them are going to stay poor? Well, now you sound like a liberal. <laughs> but, no, the, uh, the opposite would be the liberal position is, no, we need to give everyone an equal chance and, you know, take money from the richer areas and give it to the poorer areas so that way the poor kids have a chance to, you know, get level. I'm saying – no, they're not going to ever get up there. So why even give them the chance to, like, try? You know, let's just, let's just abort the school system. Let's abort uh, urban schooling. Again, I get where you're coming from, but it, it doesn't feel like the exact same issue. It just doesn't. It's not the same issue, but the, ar- the argument, the, 
argument around it's the same. It's, it's a close approximation for a, for a similarity. It's like I get it. Of course, everyone has a chance. But what are the percentages of people who are starting behind the eight ball? What are the percentages of how many of them lead a productive life? I don't know. This, that's a good question. That is a good question. I don't know that it's necessarily been studied, but you know, just and it's obviously it's purely anecdotal. My my story is anecdotal, um, and there but there are lots of anecdotals like my own mm -hmm. that amount to some statistics. I'm sure somebody's got something out there somewhere. And maybe we're just biased because we weren't aborted. I, you know what? I I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna say I've I've got a friend who has twin babies who she was wondering if she should not have her babies, you know? And I, I talked to her about it. I'm like, and we had this big, long discussion, and she obviously she ended up having them, and they're beautiful, and, and she's happy that she had them, you know? Um, and they're not wealthy, you know? They struggle, but those babies but are loved. She, right, and I was just going to say, she doesn't sound like someone who's treating her children as if they're unwanted. Sure, but not every poor kid is unwanted. Oh, not, I know. That. You know. No, no, no. I understand that completely. And the, but that's one of the reasons why the left is using that the, this kid is going to be growing up in poverty. That's like the number one excuse they use. This woman is going to be, or this baby is going to be growing up, in, growing up in poverty. Well, maybe if their parents waited to have sex until they were married, or at least in a committed monogamous relationship they wouldn't really have that concern you know I tell you what, as long as because the mother, if you're i was just gonna say as long as the mother loves the child i have no issues with kids growing up in poverty people grow up in poverty all the time my mother grew up in abstract poverty i mean so uh and she was kind of treated like she was unwanted even though she was planned not not <laughs> not important um but uh it's 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 just the psychology that goes along with being unwanted and this happens this happens with um adopted kids too you know they they sometimes they get adopted and they have great adoptive families and they grow up uh, with you know every chance to hit a home run in life that anyone could have and even though they love their adopted parents there's still that weight you know you know dragging their psyche down think my actual parents didn't want me. And it's harder for them. Oh, some of them. I, I don't want to generalize. But, but the percentages seem to be that most of them, it's harder for them. And, you know, I'm not saying... Life they, is hard. Of course. Of course. People, like, they have this idea that they can just skate through life without, being, without it being hard. Life is difficult. It is a challenge. You know, it's a Buddhist saying, I think, but all life is suffering. Mm -hmm. it, I don't believe that all life is suffering, but there is a great heaviness of suffering in being alive. Well, everyone who's alive suffers at some point. That, that's sure. true. And it's difficult. And some of us have it a little bit better than others, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you don't even give that baby the chance to make their life worth something, what kind of person are you? What does that say about you? I know. That you I know won't someone, even give this person that you made 
you made this person and you won't even give them a chance to become somebody great or not, not even somebody great, but somebody who has a chance at living. I don't even think about that. You doubt your own genetic code to survive. Right. Like, There's something really like deeply psychologically wrong with the idea that we can just kill off our offspring. And we want to wonder why the birth rates are declining in the West. That's, that's largely why. Because we're killing our children. I feel like, I feel like men are also losing, um, you know, they're becoming sterile. Oh, yeah. Just, oh, yeah. We've, we've, we've read about that. We've talked about that a couple of times. I think we should save that, actually, for another um, show with a guest that we might be having. Yes. Oh, yes, 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 mm-hmm. yes. Um, look, I know somebody who, and I don't, I don't want to name names. I don't want to blow up her spot. But I know somebody who got pregnant as a teenager, uh, was the offspring of a teenage mother, um, has essentially been raising her mother since she was a preteen because her mother is that immature. Um, and still to this day is she's just in and out of toxic relationships and it's just whatever. Um, and my friend got pregnant as a teenager because she had a one night stand because she was being raised poorly and took that one night stand sort of as a mechanism of defense when, or I should say security when she was naturally insecure for the way she was being raised or however you want to anyway, got pregnant and decided I, I literally am in no place, nor is my mother in any place to take care of this child and keep it psychologically healthy. And I don't think she was this mature in thinking about it, but she did have an abortion and she has grown up to become a very conservative person and is still pro-choice and still thinks she made the right decision because she doesn't think she would have given that kid a great life. And I, I, I understand the arguments against it, but I also understand the arguments for it in that like, like I'm taking my choice and it wasn't like a, you know, I don't want this thing inside of me. She would have loved it. I'm sure. But I, she, I'm taking this choice to not bring a kid into the agony that I'm dealing with sort of type situation. So adoption has been around forever. Yeah, I think. Yeah. And, and, and then, I had that conversation with her, and I think that was just a psychological for her thing. Sure. Psychological for her because that's a child. Right. Right. Yeah. So killing it is better? Like, it's still a child. I'm not making excuses. This is the truth, though. Her father was... And this isn't an attack on her. It's an attack on the idea. And further, going further... You know, where was the family support system for her mother when her mother got pregnant when she was 16 years old? Where were her parents? Her, her, her grandmother has, I don't know much about her grandfather, um, but her grandmother has been in and out of bins her entire okay. life. Um, see, that's, it's, a, it's, a, it's unfortunate. Yeah. We all have our struggles, though. I know. And maybe this baby would have been the one to break the cycle. 
you know, you never know who this person is going to be. And so I don't, I don't, I don't see any justification, like any kind of logical justification whatsoever, because it's <clears throat> but a you separate can't, body. You can't even see it from that point of view at all. I can, but I see it as like just. It ultimately comes back to back to selfishness. Like that's right. Like yeah. I can see it from the point of view, but the but the option is still like there's still life as an option. I can always see it from the point of view of I want something. Or I want my life to stay a certain way. Right. So therefore, I can't wrap my head around, though, like you're saying, Tasha, around. I want my life this way. Therefore, I'm okay with killing something. Right. I just, I just don't, I don't understand that at all. You know, I, I, I can't, I can't understand it. Because the, the, uh, the other options she had were either keeping it herself and raising it in probably the same way that she was raised. Yeah. Or having it and giving it, making the loving choice to give that baby to a family who could give it what it deserved. Now, I will. I will say this: she, uh, she, she had already decided that she didn't think she would be able to psychologically handle giving the child up. However, I, I, I was around at that point. Her and I were friends. Um, her father was adopted, and I actually think that her father advised her not to do that, not to give it up for adoption um that's neither here nor there she made her decision sure but, sure um but yeah you're but, right I mean, she's i mean she's just she's a she's an example that we see quite often though you know in this yeah. whole scenario of i wasn't in the right place in life or i had this happening or this was my upbringing or you know there's it's it's a playbook there's a script for everything there is no perfect situation happening. though never no, but and you see you see her going through with the pregnancy and, and having the child as a possibility of breaking the cycle. She was seeing the abortion as breaking the cycle. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's just, it's a matter of perception. Yeah. Like, I don't, I see it. I, I still can't like killing is not the option. I get it. And because, I, like I, said, I want, because I want something I'm going to kill, I'm going to kill somebody I made, <laughs> you know? Like that doesn't—it does not compute at all. All right, guys. I hate to cut us short because this has been such a freaking good conversation, but I've got to run, unfortunately. So let's plug, and then let's just be sure to do this this week again. <laughs> On Thursday. Yeah. Does Thursday work for everybody? Yeah. Thursday seven. Should we say seven? Yes. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so follow us on Twitter um, allus at illusions d e s t r one, and on Instagram, I'll get back to posting funny memes. And then you can find me at Tasha Rose Radmam R A D M A M, and on Instagram at Radical Mothering. And you'll be able to find this everywhere podcasts are broadcasts. Uh, actually, I just got a notification a couple days ago that we were on. They put us on a bunch of other different podcasting networks that I never heard of, but so that's cool. So, okay. all right, guys, uh, wish me luck. Hopefully, I don't snap my arm. I had a baseball teammate who snapped his arm on Sunday. Like seriously? Yeah, he threw a pitch, and it you it sounded like someone broke a twig over their leg. It was horrifying. Ah, okay. And his little his little two year old daughter was in the stands, and oh. so it was oh. extremely traumatizing. So wish me luck. Right. Good luck. Good luck. All right, guys. Bye, world.
Bye. Don't get an abortion.